0: You're listening to the Geek Saga Podcast. This episode features audio from a discussion panel that was recorded at DragonCon 2023. This is, just to make sure y'all are in the right place, End of Days, the Loner versus the Community. The panel, I guess, is technically supposed to be about why most post-apocalyptic books, say that five times fast, are about loners and you only get communities in brief glimpses. So that's kind of the general overview of the panel. I am the moderator. My name is Tara Lynn. You can find me online at A Geek Saga. I am an event planner. I I do a Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones convention. I do a couple podcasts, Sagas and Sass and Geek Saga podcast. Sagas and Sass is genre lit. Geek Saga is where you can find my panel records. Recordings and other random stuff that I decide to put up. And then I also published a zombie apocalypse novel many, many years ago. It's called How to Start Living in the Zombie Apocalypse by T.L. Walker. And we're gonna go down the line, have the panelists all introduce themselves, tell people where they can find you, and then we'll get started with the conversation.
1: I'm William Joseph Roberts, AKA Hillbilly. Uh, I write sci-fi, fantasy, horror, anything the evil mind squirrels demand of me. And I'm also the uh, lead publisher at Three Ravens Publishing. But you can find all my stuff at Three Ravens Publishing or williamjosephroberts.com.
2: I'm Jay Boyce. I write lit RPG. Um, I also worked for as an editor for a long time, and so I all, I've edited a bunch of books. Uh, one of which is like my brother's post apocalyptic red mage advent. Advent red mage is the, <laughs> it's the time. Um, and I am, uh, are writing. Eventually, we'll have my own post apocalyptic series out as well. So I I mostly deal with system apocalypses.
3: And she has a new book out today.
2: I have a new book out today. It's a
4: VRM memorial, so not
3: back. it's not close Sorry, It's already at the number, what, three in one of his categories? Oh, nice. Good start. nice. <laughs> good start. Damn good start. So you should look that up until they're all gone. <laughs> um, I'm Frank Morin. I write all types of fantasy. I've got some young adult epic fantasy, uh, the Petroleth series. I've got... Uh, an urban fantasy series that uh, is really fun. My latest one I'm very excited about is Bacon Master of the Apocalypse. That'll be why I'm on this panel today. But anyway, this is a humorous (laughs) fantasy set in a, a third world with culinary wizards and food magic kind of a very different approach to Apocalypse and I'm very excited about it, you probably can't tell. The main
0: character's name is Rasher. We were on a panel Did this past know? hour and I saw the name and I was just like, I mm. love it. He's bacon for power. Exactly. <laughs> He's a bacon
3: master so he can channel the awesomeness of bacon through <laughs> <for> superhuman <laughs> <laughs> enhancements. But he has friends who are cheese wizards or muffin majors or things like that. Super fun.
4: Hi, I'm Gail T. Martin and Morgan Bryce the Taylor right at Urban Fantasy. I have three series of post-apocalyptic stories some medieval, some modern day, some near future. And as Morgan Breisover, we can fantasy, male paranormal romance. But uh, yeah, those three post-apocalyptic series are why I'm here. And uh, I find it intriguing to talk about the end of the world and figure out how it might work. And I'm on uh, a ton of programming this weekend. So if you look me up, I'm easy to find and hard to miss. Me
5: too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jay Brink, Jeff. And I'm a little RPG author writing Defiance of the Fall which is an apocalyptic system, apocalypse, I guess you call it. And uh, I guess that's why I'm here. And we should be calling it RPG Apocalypse.
2: <laughs> Apparently. He has
5: two books.
3: I call it system apocalypse. Am I old school? or There's
4: copyright issues.
3: So, So, I hear
0: tell that Jay, you're the one who suggested this topic. So, so I would like to know why this is important to you and why, why you suggested this topic for all of us to be up here and talk about.
2: Part of it was just because I love, I, I read a lot of apocalyptic lit RPG, and I thought it was really fascinating how usually there are people, they think that building their community is important but they're almost never in it. <laughs> and so I'm always like, okay, so why is the loner care about that community so much when they're most like 90% of the time they're not in it. I think it's fascinating that, like, most of them become the leaders of these communities. And I'm just like, you're not there. You are very absentee leaders. (laughs) But it's just interesting as to what drives it. And that's why I suggested this.
0: When you say building the community, do you mean like physical communities or just, um, or could it also, okay, it can also be
2: groups. It it can be groups. Uh, A lot of the time they are actually building like a physical base and trying to create a safe haven for people who are less impressive than them, Mm -hmm. (laughs) to put it nicely. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well,
0: I think that you might not want to be a leader, but it does seem like a lot of the leader characters in, a po- in post-apocalyptic literature, television, etc. have this thrust upon them. Not necessarily because they're better than one person or another, but because they...
2: I think a lot of it is, the po- especially in Literary RPG, at least, it's the power mm-hmm. yeah. um, because they have the power to protect it. Mm-hmm. And so they might not always be there, but they'll come in at important times. Yeah,
3: I think that's an important trope because, you know, we talk about the apocalypse society as we know it is broken down, right? And either a new world has arisen or depending on what type of apocalypse it it is, you know, people might just be still dying off. Frequently. uh, (laughs) <laughs> it happens a lot. I, uh, I read Dungeon Crawler Carl. That's a great one. Right, everybody's just dying, which is great. I mean, it's a great book. That was the whole point. Right, the apocalypse will be broadcast. But you look at something like I, I was just reading Primal Hunter which is another great lit RPG that I read where he does a lot more in the kind of the world building post-apocalypse kind of rebuilding society than a lot of them I've read. I was very (laughs) fascinated by that. Even though the main character is just so boss, he again can protect his community, you know, and there's that whole question of leadership is different than it is now. You know, now it's like I can get the votes and there it's like, I can kill you if I don't like you, you know, or I can fight off the monsters. And so there's a very different leadership paradigm mm-hmm. than in the society we see now. So it's just really fun to explore that, I think.
4: And, and I'm going to be the contrarian since I trained in history. And the truth is that when people have gone through apocalypses or have decided to colonize a, uh, an unsettled area or deal with some kind of catastrophe, the ones who survive for very long are not the loners. They're the ones who know how to build and maintain a community, work within a community, and protect that community, not necessarily through force. I think that the idea of a loner plays great for video games. That's fun to play. I think it, it plays into a lot of our fantasies, and I think it plays into the American mythology <coughs> of the. Loner cowboy out there who actually was part of a group of cowboys and really was not on his own nearly as much as John Wayne suggests. Wait, what? Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> and there were more ice cream parlors in San Francisco at the time than there were brothels. Look it up. Um, that's right. Over the ice cream, Rocky Road. <laughs> So I enjoy seeing how communities, sometimes of people who never expected to rely on each other, maybe didn't even start liking each other, maybe were groups of friends beforehand, now have to deal with completely altered reality and deal with the way it changes the dynamics among their group, and see people wrestle with who has the skills that are needed, not necessarily to always do things by force. You need people who are enforcers, but then you also need people who know how to get other people to work nicely together. Uh, You can't shoot them all. And so that's my, I I am fascinated with using groups and communities to survive an apocalypse, even if you have people who are quasi-loners and have to move among different groups and still work with the group. So that's my take on it. A little bit contrarian, but I love seeing people work together to survive.
0: I don't think it's contrarian, honestly. And, and you mentioned just kind of the psychology of particularly the United States is like, you should be independent. You should be able to take care of yourself. You shouldn't need the support of others. And that is honestly for most people so wrong.
1: Yeah,
4: well, it, I, it never really worked <clears throat> that way. It's just a very, very uh, comforting and ego feeding mythology. Like yeah. Catholic, Catholic,
1: like Catholic. Capitalism. <laughs> Coming from Southern West Virginia, growing up, we relied on community <gasps> all the time. I mean, we were always community building. If something happened, the community got together. Like you know, there was one winter that a tree fell, landed on one of the neighbors' roofs in the middle of December, and snows falling. We're out there as a community roofing this thing to get it done. You know, the women folk are over there getting food cooked, we're out there freezing our butts off getting shingles on. Shingling in the wintertime sucks, so don't ever do it. But I grew up in that kind of mentality. And to me, that's, that's just second nature when writing this stuff. And you know, for the leadership within a community, it might get thrust upon them because they happen to be the smartest acting character out of the group. They might be the one that graduated eighth grade or whatever, you know, depending on the scenario and the location. Whoever's the smartest, whoever seems to be the strongest, whoever seems to be that alpha character, they'll get that thrust upon them whether they want it or not because they have that leadership capability. And playing on those tropes, it's fun. Mm -hmm. I like to screw with characters. I like to make them suffer. So throwing something at them like that that they really don't want, oh, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And just make them suffer through it. It's like, I don't care that you're having marital problems. We're busy trying to make sure we got food. Go take care of that your own self. You know, go, go talk to Marge down the street or something. I'm, I'm busy, you know? And just make them suffer through those situations. Mm-hmm. But it's things that everyday people can connect with too. You pull that emotional resonance by connecting those daily things that everybody has to go through anyway.
4: And everybody's gotta sleep at some point. Yeah. yeah. At that moment when you look around and go, an adult should take care of this. Oh, crap, <laughs> I, I guess Adults? I'm the adult. Hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that stinks.
5: Yeah, it does. i don't like being i think a big difference here is like a real apocalypse uh, compared to the fantasy and the fantasy apocalypse is much more geared toward a loner because sooner or later this loner will be strong enough by fighting monsters finding treasure that they can do whatever a community can do by himself or h- herself and that's what the, makes the rise of a hero and uh, the loner so uh, interesting or appealing in in the fantasy.
2: I I think in the literary genre especially though, part of it is also they know how to game the system because it's usually the gamers, Mm. who were also antisocial loners to begin with, (laughs) who are getting power.
3: I think part of what we see also in apocalyptic literature or television or movies is it's harder to write a really gripping board meeting Um, In some ways, you know, if you're really getting gritty into the, you know, the community finances and, you know, counting the seeds and things like that, it's important, it's vital, but it's really boring, right? So we want to get to the fact that everyone's dying of the plague or the monsters are coming in, you're going to fight them off or whatever. In the background, someone's counting the seeds because you got to do that. Mm -hmm. And managing that can be tricky. And it kind of depends on what you want to focus on. But I do like the stories where we can embrace kind of both aspects of it. Because we got to have it exciting, depending on what you're writing. But I like to write exciting stories. So I want to have a lot of action and really kind of explore that. So you need a loner for that, generally, because you're not going to go defeat the monster by committee necessarily. Sometimes you do, especially with the bosses. Um, but you have to have inspiring characters to kind of draw the, drive the narrative. And then you know weave in the community stuff as well so that they have a base to work from and you know, not die, mm-hmm. and have some food to eat and things like that. Get um, the crafting. Yeah, get the crafting done and stuff.
4: Well, yeah, because if you're really rebuilding from almost scratch or from the scraps of what survived, rebuilding agriculture is not exciting, uh, but it's necessary, <laughs> it takes yeah. time. Yeah. Um, the impatient, overly muscled warlord is not going to, have stick around to plant corn and wait for it to grow, but somebody needs to if you are going to eat. No, he's going to be the one running the community of pillagers. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So it, one of the things that I really find fascinating writing in post-apocalyptic worlds is how do all these disparate abilities and knowledge bases, how, how do they matter after everything? Yeah, we, we immediately look at who can <laughs> fight and protect? But who has the knowledge to grow crops? Who knows about livestock? Who knows about medicine when you can't just order your prescriptions in at Walgreens? That's where
1: everybody loves the rednecks
4: mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. and those witches mm-hmm. and those, those ladies in the haulers that can you know fix you up. Yep, yep. exactly. Um, in one of my series, the people who survive best are the historical reenactors, Society for Creative Anachronism, yep. the Amish. And in other words, the people who had cultivated the old ways and kept them suddenly know how to do all the stuff that you need to do. Oh,
0: my sister and brother-in-law have a farm. Um, I I grew up on a horse farm. They have an actual working farm and she does homesteading classes and her homesteading classes are sold out like months in advance. Yeah.
1: One of the funny things I think about some of the post-APOC out there, people rely on information from preppers instead of going to the herbalist mm-hmm. to the survivalist exactly. to the you know going to the amish and just trying to learn and they're willing to teach mm-hmm. as long as you're not trying to convert and uh, mm-hmm. other things but they're willing to teach you skills because they see it as a benefit
2: mm-hmm. i will say that half the time you can't
0: find them because they're dead <laughs> in the post
2: apocalypse or now In the post-apocalypse. <laughs> okay i was like that my sorry, my brain was like in the post apoc You don't go find those people because travel is hard, and they're dead.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Travel is hard. Well,
0: yes.
4: It's also going to depend on what caused your apocalypse. Mm-hmm. You know, if True. You, if you have the the sudden plague that wipes out ninety nine percent of everybody, okay. If you have other conditions, or maybe kind of a rolling series of collapses,
5: mm-hmm.
4: um, you still end up destroying. Uh, civilization but it may take a di- the toll is going to look sure, different sure. and the people who n- were already not necessarily off the grid but maybe living in rural areas or had already moved out of the major cities and those networks stand a better chance of surviving than the people who were downtown
5: yeah
0: well and I think okay. that the idea of and unfortunately maybe, unfortunately, I don't know, with mainstream media, the post-apocalyptic stories that make it into mainstream media tend to be mm-hmm. the sudden downfalls, right? True. Lit RPGs are pretty much all in Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Last of Us, Walking Dead, uh, name name six more television
2: shows that are
1: post-apocalyptic. Evolution? Revolution. revolution. That was where all electrical stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. Which yes. that was That was a weird the, one, that's, the
2: post, that's actually most lit RPGs, is the, the EMP hits, all electrons die, and that's where most people die, is if people like on planes and cars and they all suddenly stop working (laughs) well yeah (laughs) you're dead (laughs) i
0: will say this this is like oh my gosh it's real life and it's hard but there i I believe it's eight days i hope i have the number of days right eight days at memorial it's um katrina fallout at the memorial hospital in new orleans there's a show it's either apple tv or hulu but there's also a book that's a i mean it's obviously a true story but if you want to read like a real life holy crap post-apocalyptic situation or watch it i definitely suggest i'm pretty sure it's eight days at memorial but i definitely suggest checking that out now that's said, in terms of tropes because let's be real the loner versus the community thing is it is in and of itself a trope but what do you think are the maybe let's say i don't know if i want to say best and worst but maybe most popular and for good reasons and most popular for maybe not good reasons that you'd like to see go away tropes that the loner character fits into in post-apocalyptic stories and let's um let's start at the very end and work our way back so that we're because i know we're sharing mics and it's uh, <laughs> uh,
5: something that should go away uh, you can be a loner uh, without being unsocial, and you mm-hmm. And I think like, uh, someone who does their own thing but can maintain a positive outlook. Uh, make, uh, maybe something like that. she should see more. of it.
4: Happy apocalypse.
5: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah,
4: your your main character doesn't have to be a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> um, it would probably help if he wasn't. So it could be somebody who maybe is a loner for many many reasons that don't as as. Jeff said, have to do with being mentally unstable. Um, And so now they've been pulled back into the society that they wanted to leave. But I love seeing, you know, what can we see that explains why they feel compelled to take on this responsibility, that they were very happy to live by themselves, but now they have whether it's an internal code of honor, whether it reminds them of something of their their family. There's some internal reason for them to step up to the plate. And I I like to see that more than just somebody who is big and strong and wants to push people around tell everybody what to do and and shoot people who don't listen to them. That's kind of boring. I'm just going to interject real quick and say they're type A and they don't think
0: anybody else will do it properly.
4: They were oh, the kid who always <laughs>
2: finished the group assignments before everybody else exactly. turned to me. And there's validity to that. Sure. I, oh, I, I had things. You too. And then I, 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 I was thinking about what they said, and then I lost what I was thinking about. <laughs> I do that every panel. One
1: of the things that I'd like to see more of is the oddball average Joe. What was it? The, the uh, postman. The leader of the Raider group, he was a copy machine repairman. He had no other skills other than he, for some reason, he was able to talk to people and he had enough knowledge base that he was able to step up. I mean, he wasn't any big, big to do Marine or Army vet or anything like that. He was just an average Joe that took the leadership role. He just happened to have that skill that shined in that apocalypse setting. Um, and then, well, you know, even though it was a raider group, he created a community and they were successful in what they did. It wasn't the greatest of scenarios, but it worked.
2: I will say there, there's a lot of, like, military in the post-apocalyptic genre. Mm-hmm. There's a, a ton of that. I think part of the loner one comes, at least in the RPG, is a lot of them start in, like, oh, I was camping, or oh, I was in the wilds of Canada, or oh, I was buried in a government bunker. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of them are in the situations where they were solo and then have to then go and find the community. I think that's one of my favorite tropes is that they go and they're like rescuing people and they understand that they can't do anything alone. And that is why they build their communities because they don't they, they realize that. With my brother's books, he's stuck in a government bunker. He's just an IT vet, an IT soldier, and he's got to find his way, but... He also like the overpowered one gets really bad sometimes, but that isn't always a good thing because you don't need a bomb in every
3: situation. People like explosions. They do. Yeah, they but do. if
2: you're in a small room, yeah, the backlash. The
3: blue eyebrows and faces. You yeah, the faces
2: and everything.
3: And everything. Now you mentioned the, you know the sci- or the the character who's kind of from kind of a quirky or oddball sort of thing. I keep thinking back to the first season of, uh, of The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. You know, when oh he runs in, he finally runs into the but group and the one kid who's kind of leading a lot of that, he was like, what, a pizza delivery guy or something? Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah. you know, are you a special forces guy? How do you know who he is? was uh, a pizza guy, you know? And they know the streets. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty funny. I thought that was a really cool one to kind of slip in there. Of course, they had the redneck and they had all the other kind of tropes in there, but they put that one in, which I appreciated. That
4: was fun. You know what I think it speaks to is that our culture isn't very good at recognizing those skills and rewarding them in normal jobs. The person who is really good at getting along with everybody and makes peace and, and keeps the group going doesn't usually get promoted for doing that. No, um, th- those aren't the metrics that we promote people on. And yet, all those metrics are BS because in the real, you know, in reality, they don't actually matter. So when that goes out the window, then what are the skills? Those soft skills of being able to get people to work together and calm people down and keep people optimistic. The person who is always good at uh, seeing what needs to be done and getting you know a couple of people to go do it. So those people are might be the pizza guy. They might be the computer repair guy. They just didn't get promoted based on those skills because our culture didn't value those skills. Sure. And yep. then when all the trappings of culture go away. Now all of a sudden a whole new set of skills are valuable and that egotistical, narcissistic boss who just raved at people but didn't actually know how to do anything, guess who's (laughs) out of a job because nobody needs him for anything anymore. This is
3: going to get knifed in an alley. (laughs) Or he's going to go hungry
1: because nobody wants to feed him.
2: Uh, yeah. I do like that in my brother's but I'm just going to use his example all the time because I know it really well. Because he's in Washington, D.C. And so there are a whole bunch of bureaucrats around. As they're rebuilding the community, the guy's like, I'm in charge, cause I was in charge before. And they're like, says who? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly.
3: It's and a really fun thing to explore in post-apocalyptic stories is what changes in society depending how intense and sudden your apocalypse is and what skills will now suddenly be important. What happens to the people who, you know, have current world skills and don't know how to adapt you know, what happens to the people who are flexible or open minded or have other skills that aren't appreciated, and how do those kind of bubble up to the surface and suddenly become important to, you know, survive because now different things are important. Um, and that's really, really fun to explore with these kind of stories. They go into the community building and all the farming, but why don't they ever really go into? Exploring the new food sources through the monsters, the new plants that come in and such like that with like ether collapse or uh, your brother's book and such like that. They never explore the new possible food sources.
2: They do sometimes. It's just (laughs) all
3: it's hard.
0: But How many people you know are really just willing to put themselves out there and try alien foods? That's all I'm gonna say. I'll do it. <laughs> like, hey, I'm it. I'm, I'm pretty okay. open-minded about food,
4: You're but you don't
1: I've ate possum and coon, so it don't matter. I'll eat anything once.
0: I've had bull testicles.
4: It's, uh, you know, I've seen that meme on Facebook that said, "I want to know who who initially figured out which mushrooms were safe." It's like this one tastes like beef. That that this one, one killed, killed Timmy, Timmy <laughs> and this one makes you see God for a <laughs> week. <laughs> Somebody got
2: too hungry, and then well, everybody else just watched them. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Stuff like that, that really depends on the story arc that the, the writer's going with, and the character development that they're working with. It yeah. may just not be within the realm of that. It might be in the, in the world building a backstory, and somewhere in a short story, they might delve into that, but it's just not front and center.
2: Yeah. Because let's be honest... A book is usually about one character, and you only get that character's point yes. of view, so you don't yep. necessarily get to see all the backgrounds. This is actually why a loner is really, because they're easier to write them. Is this person in this room? Where did that, like...
1: Well, and you don't have the cast of characters that you've got to write in with all the dialogue tags and everything else. It makes it yep. a little more difficult when you've got 15 different characters that are primary. Well,
4: yeah, but it, it depends on, again, the type, the subgenre sure. that you're writing for it. Mm-hmm. I write in my epic fantasy stories, you can have at least five viewpoint characters with integrated experiences. So it's not just one person's uh, experience. So now you get to see people who are doing different things in different places. And that gives you uh, a much different perspective. Much yeah, broader perspective. Right, than when, you know, especially for reasons of gameplay you need to be that one person and see everything through their
0: eyes. I do think that when writing, whether it's a novel or a graphic novel or a TV show with post-apocalyptic Media—it's the difference from fantasy or even sci-fi to an extent where post-apocalyptic stuff really does tend to be a lot more, if not first person exactly, than second or third person, where it's focusing on one particular character. Okay, very,
3: like, full it
0: gives because
2: a sense of immediacy. It's, yes, the
0: immediacy, the the survivalist aspect of it—that it's build that harder. Thriller
1: edge
0: of. Right. It's harder to portray that, I think, with a larger cast of characters. I'm not saying it can't be done. I think it absolutely can be. But I think people veer away from that if they're trying to break into mainstream post-apocalyptic media because it's kind of what the audience expects, right?
2: Yes, exactly.
0: Exactly any thoughts on that and how do you because I mean again you were just talking about how you prefer to write as with a cast of characters right so I would love to hear I don't know what you guys think about other than it just being loner versus community writing for a cast a community of characters and examples of how you think that can be done well what you would do to make it
1: my first novel Flux Runners it's sci-fi space opera comedy and all that but the crew of the ship ends up on a desert planet. They have no idea how they're getting back to Earth with no possible chances of getting back. And they start prepping. They start going through the ships, figuring out what they have to survive on, what seed stock they have on board. Because we got the three witches on board that actually do a lot of mountain medicine type stuff and, and do their own thing. And I went into a full apocalypse setup trying to figure out how they're going to survive on this alien world. And trying to get the crew to work together was I had 10, 11 characters, main characters that I bounced around, you know, scene to scene. But it starts getting tough when you're trying to make things happen. So, you know, getting that interlacing and you start trying to get the personalities to work together, just like anybody else, you know, or any other group. You're going to have conflicts, you're going to have discrepancies, you're going to have the emotions are getting high because we're never getting home.
3: What are we going to do?
1: And, you know, that has a breakdown of its own within the group. And then you throw aliens in the mix and that's a whole other thing.
3: And again, a lot of the time, you know, it comes back to what you're trying to write. Is your alien planet survival story a thriller where there's, you know, alien like Aliens, the movie, you know, where yeah. there's aliens coming in, killing everyone? In that case, you know, farming the you know the alien beets or whatever isn't going to take a top priority because everyone's, you know, vomiting monster, everyone's <laughs> dying, and, right. you know, the cat and one other person is going to survive, right? Spoiler. But, um...
0: <laughs> I don't think you
3: can spoil something that's like, how old like, is aliens? Did, did call alien like alien 30 something egg, 30 egg plus alien years beet? Yeah. <laughs> so well I was thinking uh, now that you know the question was asked I'm like you know I gotta write a story where like you know the beet farmer becomes like the alien you know tofu lizard farmer guy that you know creates a new food and his buddy Thag eats at first and dies you know and it, it can be real tragic I, mean, I can see tears happening <laughs> yeah you know this is this is good stuff if I was writing that kind of a story kind of a you know I could imagine writing like a post-apocalyptic uh, pride and prejudice farming emotional roller coaster thriller that'd be really cool you know in the end the beat farmers you know like I'd say, you know, it would be amazing. But I may not write that because i ran write a lot of action stuff. So I'd have to work in the aggressive alien side of it too. Or maybe he's got a buddy who does the, you know, the corn farming that now sprouts different types of ears that, you know, wants to take <laughs> over his, you know, his lands. I mean, who knows? It depends on what I'm writing and putting a farming cast and It could be really cool. I haven't done that yet, but I need to probably. <laughs> so many ideas. So I gotta go right.
4: Yeah, I go back to, it's going to be shaped very much by the circumstances of your apocalypse. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in our Wasteland Marshall series, the original events were triggered by terrorist use of limited nukes, but then that takes down parts of the grid, and that takes down, uh, that destroys cities, and that destroys the power structure, and and that takes down, you, you have a rolling, a cascading series of catastrophes that build on each other, and four years in, which is where the story picks up, you've got the last two U.S. Marshals who are still riding their circuit. They may not be entirely human, they might not be entirely sane, but they're still on the job doing the best they can. And they are loners who move among the different enclaves that have been formed, so we get to see how people have organized themselves to survive. And our folks, uh, our two main characters are always the outsiders who are still reliant on those communities for shelter and for food and for support and they have to winter somewhere and so they are outsiders but they are still welcome and they they are able to move among them. That's different from one of the other series where it's an economic collapse that wipes out the power players and causes a lot of concern about being attacked from outside because the economics have collapsed. And another one where the magic has gone feral, destroyed the people, the mages, and the, pow- uh, the powerful people who had the magic, and now you really are rising from the ashes because it mm-hmm. kind of blew everything up. So it really depends on how your apocalypse happens. Mm-hmm. The one that I will eventually have written, and this is
2: a different way to do multiple main characters, is that I'm co-writing it, and so we have two main characters, and we're doing alternating POVs in an interdimensional junkyard that this is the scraps of the universe where people got thrown and you have to survive somehow.
5: One thing I think uh, <laughs> speaks for Loner in the apocalyptic uh, the literature is uh, the allure uh, of the clean slate, that everything is gone, You know, 9 to 5 is gone, and bills are gone, and you kind of want to feel that freedom uh, through the main character. And if the main character is immediately caught in some sort of community from day one, it's just yes, old rules replaced by new rules. So you want some freedom, some exploration, but sooner or later, we'll, he will have to go back to society to create or find a community, because you gets kind of repetitive, right? He has to book after book, with searching for food, searching for shelter, and so on. So you have to go back and forth. I do
2: think it's really interesting to look at how different people create different communities from scratch, because all over the world, we have very different communities. And so, if those are created from scratch, like a dictator will have a much different community than- so yeah, a,
3: religious theocracy yes. or something. Yes. Yeah, right? like all
2: of those things. So like every little pocket could be vastly different in how they are surviving.
6: I tend to write about a lot of loner characters and that's, that's why I'm here, but um, because of that, I've also watched overly um, really sarcastic productions uh, video on loners and something Red brings up in that video is loner versus somebody who is currently alone and what, like, the psychological angle, so like, how does it affect their mental health? Are they a loner and therefore they're alone? (coughs) And how much harder it is to deal with all this stress by yourself rather than part of a community? And then also, I kind of wanted to nitpick because it's like kind of a pet peeve, the difference between antisocial and asocial, where an asocial person is probably is more someone who has an exhausting time interacting with other people and they need some space more often. Whereas an antisocial person is Just hates everyone. Antisocial yeah. personality yeah. <laughs> disorder. So therefore, considering the psychological angle and therefore how much psychology research you have to do, A, to make the story convincing, B, to Make sure you get your
0: terminology right. I haven't read anything super recently where the loner character was referred to as antisocial necessarily. I'll say this much personally, I am an extrovert extraordinaire. But if it came down to a post apocalyptic surviving by the skin of your teeth sort of thing, I don't want to have to take care of anybody else, man. <laughs> like, when listen, I didn't have kids for yes. a reason. Yes!
4: <laughs> when you break your leg and you're yes, after yourself, well, You're screwed. (laughs) Healing
2: magic. I want the
0: healing magic. But yes, while I haven't read anything or or seen anything specifically where that terminology was used, you make such a good point about antisocial versus asocial. Like there is being just a, I mean, I don't know, maybe just a bad person. Well, I
1: mean, when when it comes down to it, the antisocial stereotype, look at most of the older Westerns. That was that bad outlaw that ran by himself. And you had very few of those, but you did have them that they'd run by themselves. They were the badass that would walk into town, take on anybody in a gunfight, and then move on.
6: Maybe, like, make, what's the new role of the actual antisocial person? If they want to be part of community, what does that community use them for?
5: Okay,
1: so... Crowd control. <laughs> Dealing with the problems that they either can't or don't want to do. Something that they're like, you know... They're going to exactly. delegate
3: you. Yeah, they're going to delegate it when they're not... I mean, if you have a true antisocial character, they're not going to build a community. No. They're going to use a community
1: as the needed. Visitors.
3: They'll visit and you will pay and hopefully buy or whatever, or it may just trash the place and take what they want because that's who they are, right? An antisocial person not suddenly going to create this glowing community, it's not going to happen. That's not who they are. Well, Whereas someone who's like introverted and just doesn't deal with crowds well you know, they'll find a different way to, to connect. And it kind of depends on what kind of world you're building. Yeah. You make a great point, but, yeah, it depends on, you know, as a writer, you need to be a student of psychology and of people. And if someone is just antisocial, angry, bitter, whatever, I don't see them changing. I see them probably getting worse. Yeah. And if anyone messes with them, they're going to go, you know, murder hobo on or whatever. <laughs> and then, the murder you know, and then you're going to have to have, your hero or the community or somebody else is going to have to deal with them or fight them off or kill them or convert them or whatever you do. That's going to end up being a problem that's going to have to be resolved.
1: In most of the scenarios that I can think of, the community's going to be paying them. They're going to come into town to get what they need supply-wise, have their one-night fling or whatever, but they take care of things. Give and take. It's just part of the symmetry of the community.
4: And they may be given the job that suits that personality of sure. theirs. Go out and hunt the monsters. Bring back the heads or bring back the pelts and, you know, Let me. We'll, pay, we'll pay you yeah. in, in rum. They get sent out to channel that aggression in a way that serves the community instead of harms the community sure. and gives them something back that they need which are things that they can't make for themselves. But then
6: in the meantime, the community might want to keep them in a shed off the land. (laughs) They send
4: them out on here, go go hunt as far ranging as you want to go. And when you catch everything, bring back the proof and and we'll trade with you.
1: And their home base may not be there in the community. They may not want to live in town. They may want to live in that cabin up on the hillside, just overlooking everything ready on that call.
3: And that's probably a best case scenario is Mm -hmm. find ways for both sides to utilize the other. And that's great. Now you have a kind of a symbiosis well, or whatever you call it. That's the basic community building anyways. Within a
1: post-APOC, you're going to look at everyone that you have within the community. What skills are available? What can we utilize? Who has limitations? The one with emphysema over here, they're not doing any manual labor. <laughs> but they can sit there and sew all day long and fix clothing before winter comes along. So you work within your community, and if you don't have those skills, you teach those skills to the ones that can do. But that if loner... Someone,
3: if someone can't contribute, they're probably not going to live very long. So, possibly not.
2: So that's the thing, like... But
1: it also depends on the rules of that yeah, community. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't work, you don't eat.
0: the rules of the eat.
2: world, honestly. Yeah. Get out, you
1: know, that kind of thing.
0: In it, Xander's
2: books, they they, have, they call them the numb, and they are the people who aren't contributing. They, they've they kind of, like, zoned it. I feel like it would be me... <laughs> the ones who can't accept that this is the new reality and that they have monsters and shit, and so they're just, they're numb. They're just kind of going through the motions. They're barely alive. People have to, like, force them to eat. But not every community is going to say, yeah, let's keep
3: them alive. Depends on how much food
1: you
2: have, how much
3: shelter
1: you have. They're going to become a liability that somebody's going to have to dedicate time to. It might sound mean, but anyone with severe disabilities or they're on constant care.
2: They're not going to live.
1: They're in a coma that need constant looking out for feeding, feeding tubes.
3: Any meds that keep you alive? Yeah, anybody that needs yeah you
1: know regular medication well now that's an issue unless
2: there's
3: healing spells unless it's well, that, that's, but uh, that's really back to the universe <laughs> those well, one
0: and let me be very clear illnesses are very different from different abilities okay mm. sure. illness is something like you literally need a machine to keep you breathing well if it's an apocalypse where the power goes out you yeah eat. you're done <laughs> if you are on a blood thinner or a heart medication any number of medications that keep people alive eventually probably sooner rather than later, you're screwed. But there is a big difference between actual illness that requires these things to keep you alive and different abilities. I, I just want to yeah. make that
4: very clear. Well, and, and some of those medicines can be found in nature they just would have to be, you'd have to figure out how to make them into a mm-hmm. tea or make sure. them into a sap. Or distill them down into something concentrated. Yeah, you got blood thinners, especially heart medications, you know. Oh yeah. They, they come from nature originally, you forget
5: that. I was gonna say, heart medication comes from, from TNT.
4: <laughs> this is where
0: I'm really gonna push the idea, like you mentioned earlier, people pay attention to preppers. And I mentioned my sister earlier, what you really need, if you actually have an interest in surviving like a post-apocalyptic society, I'm not saying ignore preppers, but you also really should actually be focusing on homesteading. Oh yeah, absolutely. And being able to care for yourself, not just hoarding MREs and guns.
1: Mycology, you get into any plant medicine and old world mountain medicines because mm-hmm. there's a lot of truth in what the grandmas used to teach before big pharma took over. Sure. And you can learn a lot if you start delving into it.
3: There's a lot
2: of in Chinese. Yeah, Chinese
1: medicine Chinese is beautiful medicine. for anxiety and stuff. Taking valerian root extract mm-hmm. or a tincture. It's what volume is based on. One of the
2: most common things is like air sickness or car sickness. And if you do ginger, that's that's Mm -hmm. why
1: like ginger
2: ale is served so much on planes.
1: And, you know, learning how you grow and how you harvest and maintain any kind of supplies like that. I mean, like ginger, you really have to have a warm environment. You can't do it in a colder environment it, it'll die so you have to keep it maintained but things like horseradish and all that they love the cold they'll do fine
3: so those are fun things to explore you know and if you do an apocalypse mm-hmm. depending on what type of apocalypse it is you can get into all kinds of different stuff and then the question of where are you if you set it in alaska it probably all just gonna die right yeah. and so,
0: you, so listen if you're hard. in alaska you definitely need a community because you all need to be sleeping in like the same bed to that's keep right. warm yeah, so that's
3: gonna be a very different <laughs> world than if it's you know Virginia or. Florida or the middle, you know, South America, you go to South America, the the Middle East, totally different because if you're in an apocalypse situation, you're probably not traveling much. And if your community doesn't have the skills, you're not driving 500 miles to go see somebody. Maybe if, what are you talking about
0: Automobile gas absolutely lasts like 20 years. It doesn't go bad at <laughs> yeah, all. The cars lasts. will still totally so be totally running like, 20, 20 years down the line. <laughs> yeah,
2: absolutely. Because if you leave your car
6: alone for five months, it's totally Yeah. Totally
0: yeah. Fine. The question little we little had thing. over here. How
6: do you manage the timeline of the development of your society with you that owner going off and doing the own thing and then coming back to something magically being better outside of kind of like the magic system? How much thought do you put into like? the real timeline of the society
4: developing while that longer is out
6: adventuring and coming back
3: to something new that's something that wasn't there before. How much research do you want to do? It depends, again, well, unfortunately, a lot it of our depends. answers are, it depends. Are you telling the story of the apocalypse as it's happening? Are you telling the story of five months later or five years later, or you know, 50 years later? Is it a thriller? Is it an adventure story? Is it, you know Depending on, there, is it a romance, right? Is the beet farmer falling in love? I don't know. I can't remember. I, can't the beet, I don't know. beet farmer alone. No, I do Would you guys like to read a story about a beet farmer falling in love? No, probably <laughs> Only not. Only if it I'm is going, written from on. the
4: perspective of Dwight Schrute. <laughs> so, I might have
3: to write that. Anyway, <laughs> it depends a lot on all these different factors. So if you start putting your story together, you're figuring out, you're setting the time, you know, how it ties into the apocalypse, your characters, what the focus of your story is. And that starts helping you define, and if you're writing a thriller, it's not going to be like a Tolkien-esque two-year story. You know, it's like bam, you know, thrillers go fast, right? Um, Maybe you have to write a few of them. If you're writing
4: an epic, A Slice of
3: Life, that's very different. If you're writing a, you know, Tolkien or Patrick Rothfuss, you know, Name of the Wind, where you are going and just wall around in the world, it's wonderful totally different story than uh you know some kind of an action thriller so some of those choices you make are going to help you decide that yes
0: so i'm curious more about uh, since going through covid how psychology of people when COVID first hit around march and april 2020 2020 and the things starting to shut down if that had any influence on any of your following novels? Did you learn anything from it about the psychology of how people react to it? Four novels, and did you expect the hoarding of toilet paper? I feel like that was COVID literally was the epitome of loner versus the community, right? Because. All of a sudden, unless like outside of, and I I, I think we have to use the term loner in this aspect as like the people within your household, right? So like it was you if you were by yourself because I was living by myself at that point. So it was either you by yourself if you're living by yourself or you in your immediate household against everybody, hence hoarding of toilet paper. It hasn't affected anything I've written because I haven't written anything recently, but what I think it really showed is the idea that Listen, with a zombie apocalypse or Last of Us, which I guess isn't technically zombies, but like something where it's a very obvious danger, whether it's people against people or let's say the environment against people, something where it's a very obvious danger that no one human or even group of humans could change. It's a literal apocalypse. People, I think, would tend to work together better in a situation like that. When it's this is a thing that we know about but nobody can give me actual proof and then it turns into like an us against them situation that's entirely different again but being a loner in 2020 was like to your advantage (laughs) i
4: never had to worry about getting infected because there was nobody around me (laughs) Um, You know, historically, it wasn't really all that unique. What differs in history in pandemics is how visible the effect of the uh, Biogen is and how quickly. So with COVID, we had the luxury of not falling down dead within 24 hours. Mm -hmm. But when you start looking at hubonic plague, especially when it mutated into the pneumonic plague, you had people who were perfectly fine in the morning were bleeding from all orifices copiously and were dead by evening. That tends to be hard to deny the reality yep. of. When it's just somebody gets a cough and then they get a worse cough and then they go off someplace we don't see them and they're in a hospital and they don't come home, that is easy to tell ourselves stories and say that it didn't happen. And you know you get the um, 1918 version of the flu. And again, you had people falling down dead within 28 to 48, 24 to 48 hours. And bodies stacked up like cordwood on the side of the street in downtown Philadelphia because you couldn't bury them fast enough. That's hard to tell people it isn't happening. And that's hard for people, even hardcore folks who don't want to deal with it, to say, oh, I guess this isn't a thing because there are these bodies. So it really depends on the nature of the pathogen and how it acts and, and how quickly and visibly and viscerally yep. it reacts. Copious hemorrhaging? Hard to ignore. Yeah. I think also social media played a huge part in that, because even though
2: we were alone, we weren't really cut off. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a huge part of it. And I don't know if you're from here, but like, Maybe 10 years ago, Christmas time, we had the snowmageddon. <laughs> oh, yeah, had oh my God, that SNL
0: too. skit is still one of my favorite things ever. It was ever.
2: frost, okay guys? feet a foot in snow in Utah, we're still going to school and you guys get a frost and everything shuts down.
1: Yeah, that's the normal around yeah. here. Yeah. I, was just, I was
2: like, I was stuck here and I was like, what, if what there's frost and why are there cars abandoned on the side of the road? Like, this doesn't make sense. Frost doesn't
1: happen oh, in this world. Uh, I'm right there with you because I grew up in West Virginia and in two foot of snow with my two wheel drive S10, I'm just trucking along, you know?
2: But you look at the grocery stores when the snows are predicted and there's no milk <laughs> and there's no bread. For some reason, those are the two things that everyone just and like, beer. let me That's take nice. all of the milk and bread.
0: I hope they have, like, nutmeg and cinnamon. They can make a crap ton of French toast. I mean, <laughs>
3: I'm God. just thinking, the next time I write a scene where some guy pulls open an overcoat with cigarettes, like, hey, you want to trade? On the other side, he's going to roll the toilet paper. <laughs> uh, so I so thought you were going point, with beets just just again. <laughs> yeah. i got beets. I can just see <laughs> On the other side, he's got beads. Please he's get got, the bag of
0: beads. <laughs> yeah. Bag them. I will say this too, and in terms of, because I think we need to close out, bringing this background to the loner versus the community thing, whereas people reacted to everything that happened in 2020 in a more loner mentality, I think that there was like a switch where eventually, obviously not everybody, but for me especially, I realized like having a community is super necessary. I couldn't find hand soap. My sister has uh, several kids and she had bought like a giant jug of hand soap. So she brought me some of her hand soap. I couldn't find antibacterial gel. One of my friends left some in my mailbox. One of my friends from New England mailed me masks because I couldn't find any of those. So like somebody might be by themselves. But again, like we've talked about earlier, you could be a loner, like living in the cabin on the hill, but you're still trading with the community or whatever. And that's kind of what that felt like. And I think that we can act like being a loner is super badass. But most of the loners that. are
2: not actually alone. Yeah, they're, they're not totally. constantly interacting with a community, and that is really the point. I think is that they all build some sort of community to come back to because most of us need a place to sleep. Yeah.
0: You might not want to talk to people, but you might still need things that you can't provide you for can yourself.
5: Buy milk and eggs
1: for
2: them. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for coming.
1: Yeah.
3: Thank you guys. You've been awesome.
0: Thank you for listening to the Geek Saga podcast. If you like what you heard, please check out other Geek Saga entertainment endeavors, including the Sagas and Sass webcast and podcast and Ice and Fire Con.